My name is James D. Fiore, and this is Blackballed. If you don't enjoy reading mainstream news anymore, because often the headlines are one word apart when you separate outlets, often the take is pretty the same, or you have those uh, outlets that, that stay in their camps and look at it from the angle that their ideology commands. I really enjoy reading the essays of my guest today i don't always agree with him but i largely do but i often enjoy even more sometimes than his essays which i thoroughly enjoy is watching people attack him uh on twitter (laughs) because i find stuff like that interesting for a variety of reasons one is because when when you're dealing with uh people who who write their opinions on something and it's backed up by facts and receipts and it's laid out in a way that while somewhat snarky sometimes um is really kind of a logical way to lay out a thought and argument it is just interesting to me um to watch people uh become slaves to their narrative in real time on the internet and try to slay someone much smarter than them and with that i would like to introduce you to my guest today from canada's national observer he is the lead columnist and his name is max Fawcett. Max, how are you, buddy? I'm great, James. Thanks for that wonderful introduction. That was very flattering. No problem. I often thank you very much. I, I uh, sometimes I go a little too far because I don't write anything down. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm I'm struggling for my next sentence, and maybe I lay it on a little thick. But I meant every word that I said in that one because I do enjoy reading your work. Uh, it was um, before I get into anything that uh, you've written recently. I, I wanted to talk to you uh, about the premier of your province, uh, Daniel Smith. I know what it's like to come from a province where it's really hard to kind of articulate so that people understand out of province just how ridiculous a premier can be. (laughs) You know, we have Doug Ford here. You know, it's self-evident for a lot of people, but the the blatant corruption in this province I don't think is really understood outside um, Ontario. I feel something similar with Danielle Smith in a way because I she's been kind of a media political figure in your province for, what, 20 years? And she already sort of has a reputation in-house. We see a Danielle Smith that seems like a caricature of sorts. It's mostly her gaffes. But I thought she, there was a point that could have been made um, probably in a more lettered fashion. But nonetheless, uh, this is actually from the Norwal. Uh, It says the headline says a war of words over just transition is just the beginning. Despite many shared goals, Alberta and Ottawa are on a collision course as climate politics heats up for all of her foibles and her shortcomings. Does the premier's office have a point in the way that the, uh, the idea of transitioning away from fossil fuels has been articulated and branded in this situation? 
they 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 have and she has the the tiniest of points um so i've actually written about this uh wrote about it mm, a few months ago saying that the phrase just transition uh, rubs people in this province the wrong way it really it's sort of like you know you're petting a dog the wrong way like it just it sends all their hackles up and and it it gets them suspicious and and when you already have a province and a lot of people in it that that is primed to be suspicious of the federal government on this file and and primed to be suspicious of Justin Trudeau it just really kind of feels like an unnecessary own goal and i was you know talking to a few people on twitter about it today and they were saying, ah, you know, it could be called anything. That's not really the problem. The problem is the people pushing back against it. But I do think that the label doesn't help because, you know, as I've pointed out to people in Vancouver, in other parts of the country, you know, if you're telling someone that they may not have their job in the future, but, it, but it'll be just, that doesn't feel very just, right? Losing your job sucks. Uh, you know, journalists everywhere can can probably sympathize with that. It's yeah. It's tricky. And so... You know, there's just better ways of framing it. Uh, you could call it the Green Jobs Act. You could call it the, you know, the energy transition. There's there's a lot of ways to frame this that don't put people so immediately on edge. And there's a part of me that almost thinks the feds are doing this on purpose. And I know I've, you know, floated this with a few friends of mine, and they they tell me to put down the tinfoil. But uh, you know, if you're the, if you're the federal liberals, there there is a universe where you would rather have Danielle Smith as premier for the next four years than Rachel Notley because she's a she's an anchor that you can tie around Pierre Polyev's waist. She she you can point to the province and say, well, this is what happens when you get a government that doesn't care about climate change. Do you do you want this at the federal level? No, of course you don't. And can't do that with Notley. So I you know I, I maybe that's giving them too much credit or 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 being you know too sinister about their motives, but it just it is such a an act of political malpractice that it almost has to feel a little bit intentional. Yeah, no. It, it, and I think a lot of what it comes out of the PMO is, is like that. I, I think a lot of the phrases that they use is deliberately provocative in, you know, the, <clears throat> the mindset of a typical uh, Politico in, Al in Alberta. Um, interestingly enough, I was going to save this, but I think I'll, maybe now is a good time. It com this comes on the heels, or sorry, I, what I'm about to show you um, is is sort of riding the draft of this just transition sort of blowback, I guess you could say. Um, the government, you wrote this today, I believe, or at least it was published today. The government isn't coming for your gas stove, but it probably should. Th this is part of the same soup now, isn't it? This just transition and stories like this. Can you... Kind of break down um, what what this whole gas stove, uh, what would you even call it, controversy, <laughs> for lack of a better word. What 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 it um, you know what it entails. I know that I'm not a really big like. I don't think they should, we should ban them. I you know I think that we could think of a hundred things in the home that probably cause something. Uh, look at cars for Christ's sakes. Who who knows what that does to to people? But um, can you give us an idea of of how that sort of uh, overlaps with with the whole just just transition thing. Sure. So there was there's been research over the last you know call it ten years that that increasingly suggests that gas stoves emit a lot of things into the air uh, that that are not good for you. You know they that that uh, you know they they can cause respiratory conditions. Uh, they can they, they're just not things you should be breathing in. And and yes, people with gas stoves generally have venting and and there's ways to mitigate that but but there's a risk there and the most recent study came out saying that it it, it inferred that it directly contributes to i think 13 percent of child asthma cases in the u.s and 
So there was talk that the federal government down there should should ban gas stoves. They they knocked that down very quickly and said, no, 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 we're not thinking of that. But but New York State, their new governor there has promised that uh, on any new buildings, new new commercial or residential, you can't put a gas stove in. And and part of the thinking there is that gas stoves are often a gateway to gas heating, uh, and they want to reduce their reliance on fossil fuels. So it is part of this broader sort of push to decarbonize, to to get rid of fossil fuels where and how we can. And, you know, look, there was some fair pushback on that study that said, well, hold on, you can't actually correlate 13% of asthma cases just to the gas stove. It's, it's a factor, one among many. But, you know, I look, I grew up as someone who, as I said in the piece, uh, I love gas stoves. My dad was a great cook. He, you know, he, he would always wax romantic about how much he loved his superpower gas stove. And, and I always felt crummy about having to go back and use my, you know, my dinky little electric one in my, wherever I was living at the time. And, you know, that's called Liberty. Well, yeah. I mean, I, look, I, I get the appeal, but, uh, you know, having a a one-year-old crawling around the house now, uh, it sort of opened my mind to, well, let's look at, uh, induction stoves. Let's look at some alternatives and see if they're as good or close to as good. And, and from my perspective, you know, they're, they're pretty darn close. Uh, everyone else can, can kind of make their own judgments on that front, but I, oh, induction I think, stoves are great. I, I, yeah, I learned how to use one this summer. They're amazing. Like, you, you know, you can boil water and like, you know, it's like going zero to hundred in a Lamborghini, you know, like exactly. It, exactly. Yeah. They're like the electric cars of stoves. I feel like they should get the, the insane clown posse to, to do an ad for them. Cause you know, all about like magnets, how do they work? Cause that's what, that's what induction stoves are all about. But I, it's just not, you know, I, I, so you had uh, this former Trump uh, administration officials say that, you know, the government can come take my gas stove over my dead body. And it's just like, everyone can just relax about it. You yeah. know, I think, I think we should make it easier for people to replace their gas stoves if they want to. Um, I'm not sure, like, you know, I think I'm with you. I don't think we need to be regulating them out of existence, uh, just informing yeah. the consumer better and giving them better options uh, and, and letting, you know, letting nature take its course, so to speak. I think the real question, Max, might be out of the 12.7% of people who may have uh, have asthma, how many of them had pre-existing conditions? <laughs> there we go. There we go. Yeah, that's right. Comorbidities. Um, yeah, the, I'm think I, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna choose the good seer over the risk. I think um, it, it sounds like one of those studies that's like I don't know, like how many of them were living in houses with smokers? You know, like yeah. you know, were they living in Delaware? Like, there's a whole bunch of reasons that you could come up with. There's a that. lot of confounding factors in there, and you know, I think I think as long as you're using your your proper venting and and all the rest of that, there there are bigger risks in life. Um, that, you know. Uh, I, I just, I just, it's one of those things sometimes where you're an opinion columnist and you sort of see something kind of spiraling and getting a lot of clicks and you're like, okay, I guess I got to join in. Uh, and, uh, my editor's really been on the whole click thing lately, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, we do, (laughs) we do like to stay in business. That's so, right. uh, That's right. you know, I, th- oh, I thought it was, it. I thought it was fun. I work at uh, the deanbondell.com. I'm not, not knocking the, uh, <laughs> the, the story choices that I've made, uh, for clicks. Um, okay. Um, let's move on from that. Cause that's kind of funny, but it's, uh, Oh, you know what? Before we do, would you give Danielle Smith, uh, a, 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 I'm going to put you on the spot, like a grade yep. of, for how she's done so far. Whew. Now, am I grading her from my perspective or from like a, a, a neutral sort of political perspective? 
let's go with neutral so you don't get as many people tweeting at you afterwards you know i i think i would give her a c a c um you know she's she's got she's gotten into you know a lot of trouble about you know telling she said you know said that she was going to tell prosecutors to knock it off with with going after the COVID scoff laws and, and that's gotten her in a lot of hot water um you know she had those comments early on that about the unvaccinated that got her into trouble it sounds like there's a bit of um unrest in her caucus but by the same token she is right now fighting on the one issue that she is best positioned to win the election on, which is hating Justin Trudeau. I think as long as she's in the frame of defending Alberta and attacking the federal government, she has a better chance of getting reelected than she does if she's talking about health care or education or definitely anything to do with COVID. So, you know, not it has not been flawless. It has been quite flawed, but uh, there there have been some good choices. Does it, it feel, okay, and this is, this could totally be naive, but, but from the outside looking in, and I don't get caught up in the, in the, in the gaff machine kind of thing that the media wants to show me, but is there, there seems to be over the last, say, month, almost like she looks even moderate next to Polyev. She's trying. I mean, yeah. she, so she, she knows um, that, you know, this has been made clear by, dozens of people doing analysis that the election will be won or lost in Calgary. And it will especially be won or lost in sort of um, middle class, suburban, uh, you know, uh, outer ring of the inner city Calgary. And those voters, I, like I know in Ontario, you probably think we're all crazy conservatives out here, but those voters are pretty moderate. You know, they, they, they especially in municipal elections, they tend to vote progressive. They just want to see their kids go to school. They want to make sure the health, the hospitals are are well funded and working. They don't want any wild ideological experiments. And so she's having to tack towards the middle to be more palatable to them. The risk for her is that she is slowly irritating the COVID um, truthers, the COVID purists who helped get her elected leader in the first place, who are seeing her sort of step back on prosecuting or on um, you know on on Pardons, going, yeah. on talking to the prosecutors on sort of covid amnesty on uh covid sort of uh truth and reconciliation thing like there she's walking away from a lot of the things that i think she promised those people and the question now is are they going to get angry enough before the election to have it all boil over or not and we we don't know that yet this isn't something that i was familiar with until i think yesterday um this this whole idea that there's so many cases of health violations in the courtroom that pardons were happening. And, and I'm just, what are these charges? Like I, I haven't read anything in an Ontario newspaper that deals with um, charges that people are fighting for health violations during COVID. Is this like a mate? Was this like, a, I mean, educate me. Cause I have no idea. Is this a common thing throughout every province or are you familiar with only Alberta? Like how does this work? I mean, you remember the remember the the barbecue guy in in Etobicoke who who got in big trouble because they told him to shut down and he wouldn't shut down and, and so it's sort of in that vein. Uh, there's there's um, there's a lot of there's a few pastors here in Calgary and up in Edmonton who really made a big deal out of exposing their their uh, congregants to COVID uh, and not following the guide, guidelines from Alberta Health Services. I think there's a couple of restaurants. Uh, in rural parts of the province, so it's it's cases like that where where people were told, you know, these are the health rules right now, and they they just didn't follow them, and uh, reluctantly uh, the Kenny government, I mean, they had to prosecute the law, they had to uphold the law, and, and prosecute people who were breaking it, and 
I think what she has sort of promised her supporters is that I will encourage the prosecutors to, uh, you know, let those let those cases die on the vine or or decline to prosecute because they're not in the public interest. And you can't do that. Um, you know, she seems to have tried to to walk it back by saying she only told her attorney general, but that was the thing that Justin Trudeau got in trouble with with Jody Wilson-Raybould was was directing his attorney general how and where to prosecute. So she can't have it both ways. Um, you know, either she she talked to these people and she shouldn't have, or she lied to her supporters and said she talked to them and didn't. Right? Uh, you can't have it both have ways. Been able to say something like. Um... You know, like, you know, whatever is going to happen with these cases, whatever's going to happen, but I'm, I'm going to push or maybe push isn't the right word, but, um, you know, uh, float the idea of amnesty or pardons after the fact. She can't. We don't have those here. She can't. Um, oh. No. We, we, and so that was that, that oh, was something the federal else. Level. That was something else that came out today is that, um, you know, in, in her, I think it was her radio show, but it might have been in just an interview. She said, well, we don't do that in Canada. We don't have amnesties. We don't have pardons. And I'm willing to bet there's a few of her supporters who feel gypped about that because, uh, you know, that was what they probably felt they were promised, that these cases would be vacated, that the people who were being prosecuted would be, you know, would have the charges lifted and and have their reputations repaired. And, and that's beyond her powers. And so it's really just a question of how many times she can let these people down before they decide they've had enough of her. And there's already talk that, the, you know, the the one of the far right organizations that um, helped get her elected is now taking over writing associations uh, of people, uh, you know, who who used to be loyal to Jason Kenney. And, and you know, there's already turmoil, uh, believe it or not. And the leadership race seems like it ended just a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and there's still. uh legal proceedings that are happening because of the fraud in 2018 for for those legal cases yeah. Holman and people like that are are still facing court cases are they not that case that case the rcmp is still out there still investigating they have not told us what they know or what they think happened there and uh i would bet fairly heavily we may never find out uh what went down there because at this point you know honestly at this point who cares right um you know, it'd be good for the public record, but Kenny's not around. Um, you know, most of his most of his senior people are not around anymore. They've left for other jobs or other provinces. So, uh, you know, if the RCMP does file charges or press charges, it it'll feel you know days late, dollars short. Yeah. Um, also, I just want to point out that you may have not noticed, um, but um, I think the word "gypped" is now on the list of things you're not allowed to say. I just want to honestly, honestly, I was. It was in my head that I was like, I'm, that, I'm going to get in trouble for that. So I apologize. I did not mean to say that. I'm just looking out for you because if I just would have skimmed past it, then people would have gotten mad at both of us. And I don't no. think it was an intentional thing. So I just want to, no. you know. That's my bad. That's my no bad. Um, <clears throat> okay. Now let's, let's, let's make an indelicate pivot from that over to, uh, over to Jordan Peterson. So he wrote this. Um, was it a week ago or so? Something like that. Yeah. Um, Jordan Peterson, uh, free speech isn't what Jordan Peterson thinks it is. And then today, um, just to climb on top of that for a second, I I saw this. Dozens of Ottawa organizations call for the cancellation of Jordan Peterson show at the Canadian Tire Center. I believe that's in yeah, that's in Ottawa. And um, they they have these things that say he uh, he's an avid supporter of the Freedom Convoy, spreads mis misogynistic, homophobic, transphobic, transphobic, and racist views, and rhetoric increases hate and inspires violence. And they want people to basically 
ban. They, they've been calling for Canadian Tire to ban him from speaking. Um, before we get into your piece, um, talk to me about that a little bit, because, you know, I'm of the mind, I'm a very kind of staunch, you know, don't fuck with people when they're talking um, unless they say something that incites violence. What are your thoughts on, on that, on that whole deplatforming culture that we see, and, and especially in, in this specific instance? Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. I, I don't really think that that's a, a, a way to go here. I mean, he has a platform. He has an audience. People want to hear it. I really don't think that he's going to be saying things that are inciting violence or, or hatred. Uh, if he does, that's a, that's a separate matter. But these sorts of preemptive uh, attempts to, uh, to kind of close off these conversations, uh, I just don't think it serves anyone uh, in the long term, because, you know, let's let's say just for the sake of argument that that it's successful, you get the event gets shut down. It's just going to create a big stir. People are going to get angrier. Uh, he's going to still find that audience. They're probably going to be more pissed off. He's going to be more righteous. I don't see uh, how that ends well. So let him talk and let, you know, let the chips fall where they may afterwards, uh, based on what he says. Um, you know, this I was talking never really I was, works I was, for them. Yeah, no, sorry, it doesn't. And I was talking to someone today who, you know, who is, is familiar with the British political culture. And he was sort of saying that, you know, in Britain, you have this space where people can say some pretty wild stuff, uh, not, you know, not hateful, not anti-Semitic, not whatever, but they can they can have some pretty far right or far left opinions and air them in public. And then they get they get people criticizing or responding to it in due course. And we just don't have that space in Canada right now. It seems like the window of available and acceptable speech keeps getting sort of narrower and narrower. And I know that sounds ironic coming from someone who wrote a piece critical of Jordan Peterson, but you know, I, I, I'm not looking to curtail his free speech rights. Uh, I'm simply pointing out that when you are a, you know, a professional, whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, uh, you know, uh, any number of professions, if you're a financial, a certain, you know, certain level of financial advisor, you have responsibilities to your professional community and they can, they can uphold those standards. That's not, that's not impairing your free speech. That's them defending uh, both the public that they serve and, and their professional designation. So, uh, you know, I agree. I see someone in the chat saying that the transphobic stuff is garbage. It's, it's garbage. And it's really dangerous right now when you see what's happening both in the United States and, and even here with, with some of these drag shows and the protests and the counter protest and the, the, the temperature keeps getting ratcheted up, but I don't think you bring that temperature down by closing off his event. Yeah, I, I agree. 100%. We, we also get caught up in these weird fights. Like the, the, the drag queen story time thing bothers me on so many fucking levels. Like it, it, it just, it doesn't bother me from like some sort of moralistic point of view where I'm like, I don't want my kids exposed to men dressed like women. But I do see the point with the idea of like anybody, any adult human that is reading to kids should probably be dressed appropriately. And that's really the only thing that I think, right? Like, I, so if you want to do a drag queen story time, then go ahead and do it. Just make sure that the clothes they're wearing are something that you would see in a, in a strip club at 2 a.m. Like that's all I care about. <laughs> <laughs> and that's yeah. I think that's pretty reasonable. No one has that conversation and everyone talks past each other. And I think that the people that get all up in arms are exposed to only the examples that feature that. And there are some examples like that. And people pretend that there's not when you're on the other side. And and we don't know how to talk to each other anymore. Um, and 
I'm wondering if you, you take a guy like Jordan Peterson, who seems to me um, was fairly reasonable when he first came out five and a half years ago, whenever that was. And, um, but was immediately caricaturized as being like this horrible person. And then eventually evolved to become the horrible person that he wasn't <laughs> yet. <laughs> Do you see it like that? Like, like fame does weird things to people. And I think, and he said it in an interview once, he might've been, it might've been mine actually. Um, I can't remember. Uh, someone will fact check that and I'll actually fact check myself and let you guys know tomorrow. But um, where he said, if there's anything that I feel like uh, could, um, could, you know, ruin this, it would be the, the, this itself, the, the idea of being famous itself. I could see um, being sort of my downfall. And he said this like four and a half years ago or something like that. And, uh, you know, it, did we watch that sort of take place in real time? Like, like a Truman's world sort of example of a guy who went to like that dude got famous and in a big way, really quickly. Like it was like 2017. He said his comments and then it was like, the book came out like what a year and a half later. And then he was like selling millions of copies of books, traveling the world and speaking from like 2018 onwards. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Um, and then he became a drug addict. And then he became, I think, suicidal and depressed. He's got all the makings of a rock star, does he not? <laughs> like he does. He, I mean, it, I think you're right. I, you know, I. It's funny. I when I worked in the government of Alberta, I actually worked uh, next to somebody who grew up with him uh, in Peace River, and and they said, you know, Jordan was always a little bit of a bit of an odd duck. Um, very smart, very different. Um, but you know, he had this this academic career where he kind of flew under the radar. If you wouldn't have known him unless you took his course or his class at the, U, at the University of Toronto, or if you'd read his, you know, his book, Maps of Meaning, which is by all accounts, a very, very good book, very interesting, very thoughtful. And then he, you know, publishes uh, 12 Rules and, and becomes this sort of famous guru. And, you know, I think fame breaks people. Uh, and, and the amount of fame that he had to sort of ingest over the, such a short course of, of time I'm not sure anyone would have been able to handle that uh, unless they were incredibly well grounded, incredibly, uh, you know, had good support networks and, and all the rest of it. And I, I'm not sure he does. Um, and I think we sort of see the result. Uh, so I, I have this weird sort of, I won't say sympathy, but, you know, because why would you feel sympathetic for someone who's super famous and, and can be a bit of a, uh, uh, you know, an unkind person, let's call it on on social media. But I think a lot of people, if they were subjected to the same circumstances that he was, would probably have ended up in a similar fashion. Um, you know, fame oh, yeah. is 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 an incredibly 
difficult thing, I think, for, for a lot of people to kind of digest, especially when you've gotten used to not being famous. You know, if your whole life is you being just a professor at the U of T and then all of a sudden you're a global sort of intellectual celebrity, um, that's, that's, a, that's a lot to digest. So I, I don't think it excuses anything he does now or he's, you know, he's sort of, he's, a, he's become the, the monster that people said he was from the outset. But uh, I, think there's, I think you can understand how it happened. I, I mean, to be perfectly frank with you, Max, if I became famous, um, you would read a headline that said, James found with cocaine and strippers again. Like, it would just happen, right? Like, I, I could, so I can only imagine. <clears throat> I got to be dead if I was famous in my 20s. And so I think Jordan Peterson, he seems like, like I, 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 I spoke with a couple people that knew him um, in his 20s and 30s and, and said a similar thing. Like, he was sort of, like, always outspoken. He, um, you know, but... Uh, he was pretty left wing when he was young. He was an NDP party member and everything like he, you know, he had all that. But yeah, I think fame might have uh, might have ruined that guy. And, uh, you know, I, I that whole thing with this. Uh, what was it? The, the Psychiatry Association or whatever it was that came out and spoke out against him. I've never seen that before. Like, is that is a good analogy when the Law Society of Ontario comes out and rebukes like Alfred Apps or something like is it the similar type of thing? Yeah. And, and, you know, there was, I can't remember, I think it was his lawyer, actually, who wrote it uh, in the Financial Post, sort of arguing that there's been a creep within professional organizations, you know, whether it's law societies or uh, colleges of medical professionals, uh, where they've kind of started to take on uh, questions and complaints that are not strictly in their purview. And, and I think that's a reasonable conversation to have. And, and and, you know, maybe Jordan Peterson could have contributed to that. But instead, he tr decided to make himself into a martyr, right? He decided to make himself into a victim of free speech cancellation, which it really wasn't. Um, you know, he could have appealed the decisions by the, by the college. He could have, uh, you know, there's a lot of different paths other than martyrdom that he could have chosen. But, but that's, his, that's his shtick now. That's his, that's his role is to be this sort of social media celebrity. Um, I don't think Professor Peterson 10 years ago would have chosen that path. Maybe he would have. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I think that is sort of part of the, the, the world that he's in now where, you know, you find things to be outraged about, you amplify the outrage, and then you profit from the outrage. And yeah. I'm sure he'll profit from this. You know, like, again, he, he hasn't practiced medically by his own admission since 2017. So him losing his professional designation is not really a problem. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, if he didn't want to comply with their with their social media retraining edict, that's fair enough. You don't have to do it. Uh, Which, by the way, sounded almost like another similar to just transition. Sounded almost like you know what we should make Jordan Peterson do. We should make oh. him do the thing that he would hate the most and do some sort of retraining thing so he can say that we're trying to. Pro There's no way they didn't think about that before they well, tried and, to publicly and, get him and, to do it. You know. And look, in fairness, like when I read what they were telling him he had to do like the the am i allowed to swear on this fuck yes okay the the sort of the go fuck yourself gene or, or button in my brain was was quivering like there was there was a lot of like they were just poking him in the eye right like yeah. we're gonna make him yeah as someone is uh you know someone is saying in the chat we should make him eat a bag of dicks and that's kind of what they did um so i do understand his the the instinct to respond the way he did but he has to be accountable for it. He has to, you know, and for <clears throat> trying to sort of become this 
you know, make it into this free speech issue when it it's really just about him, you know, and his unique situation and his unique, uh, you know, uh, standing in the world. When the shimmer of his beard started to match the sheen of his pleated suits, I started to get really <laughs> kind of worried. About He's him. making some very interesting fashion choices right now. Is all I can say. There's a <laughs> Elon there's a guy there, there's a guy on Twitter who is sort of a bit of a I can't remember what his account is, but he's a he's a fashion um, sort of uh, chirper, and he was sort of joking that that Jordan Peterson can't say he's standing up for Western civilization and tradition when he's wearing notched lapels on his double-breasted suit. And it's just you know he's got he's got a very interesting tailor right now. Is all I can yeah, say. hang out with Don Cherry for one night and look what yeah, happens. You know? Exactly. Influences. But, but you know what? Like when people are shitting on him for that, he's having fun. Uh, oh, I don't know. care about this. Yeah, I, I see. That's that. That's what I hate. I, you know, if, if your guy's wearing um, the uh, Elon Musk tie, then he's being ironic and he's funny and he's smart. But if Jordan Peterson is, then he's like, oh, he's embodying the spirit of the right wing devil. Like it's just, ah, come on. yeah. I mean, he's. I mean, he's he's being a dandy. That's not really that right wing. Um, yeah. You know, I, I don't know where you place that but it's not strictly speaking right wing he doesn't look like you know william f buckley or anything like that he looks like john um, waters for christ's sake yeah a right? little bit um you know? i mean just just you know i feel like we should pick the thing if we want to be upset about something with him there's lots of better things to pick on than him making some sort of fun choices with his with his with his fashion it's someone Honestly, is pointing out that all the things that he has said to me the most egregious one and i know this is going to piss a lot of people off um who think a lot about gender stuff, but uh, but really the thing that pissed me off the most was when he was telling, um, you know, uh, that uh, that curvy woman that she wasn't beautiful because she was curvy or be, or whatever, right? Like, oh, like, be, that I thought was um, first yeah. of all, I'm a hip hop head. Fuck you, you 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 don't speak down, you don't talk down to curvy women, not on my watch. But no, but I I just thought it was cheap and stupid and like teenageish and all that. But um, but he's but before that, before he became like really awful, he was accused of being really awful all the time. And most of those times, he wasn't be really being awful at all. At all. And that's what I thought was interesting about him was that metamorphosis in, into becoming the thing that you were denying that you were the whole time. And and that I I, yeah. I can't get past that. He's a no. movie. I don't know who would play him, but this, Daniel Day Lewis, maybe something like that. Like, Actually, that's you know? a really good. That's a very. Now, yeah, that's a very good casting note because they look a little bit similar, yeah. uh, and it would require that sort of like immersive approach. Oh, I, can't and, uh, wait, I can't wait for the Hollywood studio to rip me off that idea, and I get to watch it on Netflix. You get, you get zero dollars in in right. uh, in whatever it is from that. But yeah, from I mean, I think there's a certain I don't want to say poetry, but there's uh, there's something Shakespearean to the fact that you know uh, people. I think I mean he wasn't great at the outset. But he certainly wasn't um, what he's become, and and you know maybe there was a, some element of him being pushed in that direction by by all the criticisms and critiques. I don't know. Well, Jesus didn't help. I, I mean, like he, his his um, he kind of uh, he was light on the religious stuff early on, and now he's like, isn't his tour called like Fire and Brimstone or something? Like you know what I mean? Like he does these like four hour mega things on old testament whatevers and I, can you tell i was raised catholic i don't know anything um, but <laughs> but you know what i mean and and the, anyways the religious stuff always kind of bugs me a little bit but um okay what is it then that um 
we, we were talking about this off air a little bit and I'm going to pivot here now on something we didn't really plan on talking about, but we were talking off air about how there is a sort of um, identity on the right that starts with people that have an origin story that is similar in the fact that they started out like progressive and they started out as liberals or whatever, not, not in the party way, but in the um, ideological way. And then find out, like these personalities like Tim Pool. I would put Russell Brand in this category now. I would put Dave Rubin in this category now. <clears throat> to a certain extent, Jordan Peterson, although he sort of came out like he was sort of on the right. Where people take, a, Joe Rogan to a certain extent too, where they take a look at their analytics after a certain point and they realize that if they criticize the left, they will gain more in traffic and they'll gain more um, you know, followers and, and more dollars. And then they become um the a, a business person and they cease to become a journalist have you seen that happen as well we talked about the tim pool example can you can you sort of give me your thoughts on on that sort of phenomenon if you want to call it that yeah i i think it's absolutely a real thing um if you're a smart well smart's not the right word but if you're if you're someone who who allows the market to shape their their opinions and their worldview um there's more money on the right. There's there's more profit. There's more opportunity in being an angry conservative than there is in being an angry progressive. Um, you know, I I think we even see it in this country in Canada. You have you know you have True North, you have Rebel, you have all these sort of upstart right wing organizations that are often staffed by younger people, and and it's a pretty clear shot, right? You can you can spend your years grinding it out in the trenches at the CBC or at, or at, you know, a mainstream newspaper, or you can, you can say some stuff that, that owns the libs and suddenly have your own show within, you know, 12 months on uh, one of these new sort of right-wing alt media organizations. So there's definitely an economy there that people like Dave Rubin, Joe Rogan, I mean, Joe Rogan's is whole is a whole other conversation, but that they, I think, understand and, Appreciate, and I think part of that is also just the way that the social media algorithms are written. Right? Uh, they are designed to push you deeper into anger, deeper into uh, you know, sort of the rabbit holes that you find yourselves in. So, being a play it straight journalist or or a you know, sort of a, a left wing critic, like it, it just doesn't mesh as well with their with the way they're trying to run their sites as being an angry YouTuber. Um, yeah. And, and I'll tell I'll tell you, and I'll tell my audience this too, because um, it's not I'm not pulling this idea out of my ass. Uh, when I when I accuse Tim Pool of doing this, the reason why I do that is because I I have um, experience writing for the Post Millennial a few years ago, um, and I know what happens to my traffic when I have people <laughs> like Max Bernier on and Andy Lee on, and um, you know Christine Anderson on. Uh, you know there is a there is a considerable spike, uh, you know, and people have told me this for the last two, three years that, it, you know, why don't you just do a right wing show? And I'm like, because I'm fucking not right wing. <laughs> like, I'm just not. <laughs> like I, how do you do that? Like, I would literally have to lie to people. And that's sort of why it bothers me when I see Tim Pool. Tim Pool is like, you can't get much more left than he was like, you know, he, he looked like an extra in Beavis and Butthead. You know, he was, um, he, he was, are there extras? And I guess probably not. Um, you know, he, he was the Occupy Wall Street journalist and everything. And then there was just, it was before COVID. 
it was Trump. Trump was like the Trump became this for a lot of these guys. Trump happened, and you could see him because I did. I I, didn't, I don't know if I followed him, but I I would find myself looking at his Twitter page. I don't think I followed him though. It's out of principle because I'm an asshole. But um, you know, I I would see the things that he would post, and then gradually, I did this experiment once um in 2019, I think, um, because he and I went back and forth, and I just searched his name and Trump, and it was all of it was just. The people who hate Trump are this. The people who hate Trump are that. For like a year and a half, he never said really anything bad about Donald Trump. And I'm and not like I wanted to litmus test the guy, but there's a reason. And part of the um, thing that makes me so frustrated. I'm sorry for rambling here, but but is, is that the the my my profession, um, at least from a freelance perspective, is as poisoned as anything else's. Uh, and and I think that these people that are being influenced by uh, th- these media personalities that have shifted to the right have just kind of gone along with them. And it's so artificial, I find. And I, I don't know what to do better. If there's anything to do better, I guess bad ideas are fought with good ideas. But I don't know. I'm, I, there's I mean, no question here. But what are your thoughts on all this? Thing? No, it's, it's you know, it, it, it is frustrating because the incentive structure is becoming, it's increasingly clear that the incentive structure, you know, with, with social media or with online um, discourse is not towards uh, balanced, rational, fair conversation. It's around picking sides, uh, being, being, you know, noisy, being loud. And, and, and there's definitely a higher uh, reward quotient for being loud and conservative. Um, yeah. I think, you know, the, the one thing about those left to right, transitions is they can often be fueled by the same thing. You know, I, I think Tim Pool and a lot of the Occupy Wall Street folks, like they were, they were mad. They were pissed off at the system. They were, they, they were angry that they were not getting justice. They thought that, uh, you know, people on the inside were, were fucking over people on the outside and they were right. Yeah. And it was a beautiful start. Yeah. And, <laughs> and when the, and I think, I could I can understand why someone who w- would look at that and look at the Obama administration and go, wait a minute, not a single banker went to jail. Um, maybe these guys aren't the good guys. Maybe maybe we need to blow the whole thing up. And who better to blow the whole thing up than a guy like Donald Trump? So you know, I think it's not a far it's not a far walk from being a left wing anarchist to being a right wing uh, uh, authoritarian, because both are are positions that want to apply pressure on the establishment on the middle on sort of the 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 people who have succeeded by playing the game by the rules um and and you know i i I don't think it's a good shift i think you know you see you even see it with matt taibbi um you know matt taibbi when i was you know sort of 10 years younger and getting into journalism was almost a hero of mine uh you know the the work that he did covering uh, Wall Street and covering sort of the the hypocrisy of big business down there. Um, he went was to the very Republican much... convention on acid too, which was awesome. Yeah, I mean, he he yeah. very much approached it from sort of a Hunter S. Thompson kind of you know uh, mindset, and then I you know then he just started sliding over to the right to the point where he's kind of now carrying Elon's water over at Twitter and and doing all this Twitter file stuff, and uh, you know I understand I still why he. Seen... I haven't seen I, I, Glenn Greenwald. I can see that 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 would be an example of that. And I've just recently come on board on that because I didn't want to believe it. I think, but Matt Taibbi stuff. I, I I'm I'm still not. 
I, I don't think he's motivated by anything financial. I, I think he really just honestly believes the stuff that he writes and it just happens to fall that on that side sometimes. But, um, but what do I know? I mean, I, I don't know what motivates these people. I, I, you know, I'm not mo- motivated by money. If I was, I'd be a lot happier, <laughs> but I'm not, not necessarily. But, um, no, pro- well, <clears throat> I, I, I'd probably, oh, I'd be with the hookers and blow. That's right. Um, it would be bad news. I should just stay obscure for the rest of my life. But, um, you know, when, when I was having you on, I don't know if you saw, but there was that one person who's like, oh, you're going to get a liberal to, to be uh, your expert on Alberta politics. And I'm like, the liberals have literally no seats in Alberta, pretty much. So why not? Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know I mean? Uh, I, I, I don't think you have a good or bad perspective simply by virtue of whether you're a liberal or a conservative. I think liberals can have garbage perspectives and conservatives can have good perspectives. Uh, what about that earlier question, though, um, that you answered in the neutral form? Now answer it in the your opinion. I don't remember what the question was. <laughs> Yo, give Daniel Smith uh, a grade. Oh, that's right. That's right. Now yeah. go personal. That's going to be an F, I would imagine. Uh, well, I would give her a D uh, only because I still think she's the person who makes it most likely that we have a, a competent government for the next four years after the provincial election. She is she is the most easily beatable of the leadership candidates in that race uh, by, by, the, by the NDP. And uh, for that, I, I appreciate her. Um, but I think the, the way that she is scaring Albertans and sort of polarizing the conversation around climate change and oil and gas is just super, super dangerous. It's super unhelpful. Um, And it's going to ultimately cost jobs and and opportunity here because if you're a a business looking to make a big investment and you look at what's going on in Alberta right now, fuck that. Like, I I don't need to deal with a government that's going to call me and, and pressure me not to get my employees vaccinated. Like, I'll just go somewhere else. Uh, the, the, yeah. It's not helping. And, you know, I I have dealt with Danielle many times. I mean, she's blocked me now on Twitter, but I've dealt with her many times when she was in her talk radio uh, phase. And uh, I, I, I just, you know, she, she does not invest me with a lot of confidence in her ability to make tough decisions. She, I think one of the downsides of being in that talk radio space is that you be become a bit of a weather vane like people call in and they say i believe x and you go okay fair enough that's not a bad opinion when opinion x could be complete trash and she sort of has that that weather vane quality where she'll kind of bounce around depending on what she hears from people and i just don't think that's how you lead uh or govern um i i'm, I'm not playing this for any just before people get mad <clears throat> because i'm trying to be like cheeky or inappropriate I just want to understand, maybe you already know the answer to this. What the fuck was this? <laughs> she t- <clears throat> and for those who are only listening, she tweeted a picture. It was like the day after she was, she was well, I guess, installed as premier, whatever you want to call it. Um, and she tweeted a very awkwardly angled picture of her legs from like just above the knee down. She's wearing nice shoes. You know, I guess if she was wearing fishnets, it would be kind of sexy or something like that. But what was she doing? I, I, I Does anyone know? Was was she trolling liberals to, like, say something misogynistic or sexist? Like, what was happening there? That is that is, I forgot about that. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, I, I here. Let me refresh I could, your memory. I yeah. couldn't tell you. I mean, is she is she trolling? Uh, was it just like a, she just liked the look of the carpet? Like, I, it's funny. I had a <laughs> I date I dated a woman 
many years ago who one of her things was she she liked taking pictures of of she went to conferences all the time she would take pictures of the carpets because the carpets looked interesting and so she had all these photos on her phone of like her shoes on carpets maybe daniel smith is a similar she has a similar hobby like i don't know um maybe. <laughs> I, I you know i i i feel like of of her many uh mistakes as as premier of my province that that is so very far down the list that uh you know, I, I've long since forgotten it. Um, you wrote something else. I don't. <clears throat> I didn't actually put it up. I said I. I, uh, I thought that this would run us into the hour, to be honest with you. But but um, it's kind of good that we didn't because you you were saying that Justin Trudeau's not making. I don't have it. Uh, sorry, I didn't get the asset. But uh, that Justin Trudeau, excuse me, Justin Trudeau is not making life very easy for Notley. Can can you explain why? Yeah. So I, you know, I, I it's frustrating for those of us who probably consider themselves federal liberals and, and provincial new Democrats, which is a very like BC and Alberta thing. Um, but, you know, it feels to me like with this just transition stuff and, and tabling legislation around uh, the, the emission cap on, on the oil sands just before the spring election, uh, you know, either he's getting terrible advice from his staff on what to do in Alberta, or he's, he prefers to have Daniel Smith as a foil for the next four years than Rachel Notley. And, you know, I, I think from the perspective of good governance, from the perspective of what's best for Albertans, uh, that's wrong. But from the perspective of winning the next election, um, and look, he's a politician who wants to win. He wants he wants to do what his dad couldn't do and win four elections in a row, right? That's a legacy. Uh, he definitely has his, his eyes on on his place in history. If that's the frame that he's operating from, having Daniel Smith around as premier is way, way better because uh, he can point to her every time she says or does something silly. Uh, you know, every time she rages against climate change or you know, uh, pick your pick your poison and and say, "Hey, Canada, do you want that in a prime minister? Do you want someone who won't even acknowledge reality? Uh, who thinks that the best way to deal with with climate change is to is to develop more fossil fuels?" And he can tie her around Pierre Polyev's waist and and use her to, to sink him in Ontario, in Quebec, in Atlantic Canada. I mean, what are they going to lose two seats in Alberta? Who cares? They, they can pick up two seats in, in a whole bunch of different parts of Ontario and Quebec. So from a very sort of nakedly political perspective, I can see them preferring Smith to Notley. And if that's the case, it explains why they keep stepping in it on the just transition stuff. It's a good thing they're motivated by the welfare of everybody, not just their political ambitions. I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, hey, look, if you wanted to rationalize it from their perspective, they would say uh, that's the collateral damage uh, to to prevent Polyev from becoming prime minister. And in the end, that does more more good than harm. Right. I mean, look, politicians are it's good at rationalizing a lot of things. It's a risk, though, because what if you lose and then all of a sudden you have, uh, a, you know, an Alberta um you know daniel smith and paulieva is prime minister you know and then all of a sudden you know the uh the flood walls open and um well, you know i mean i mean the the funny i mean the funny thing about that is that if if Poliev is prime minister all of this separatist nonsense goes away in 2 minutes right because because the folks here are not actual separatists they're not they just don't like the liberals it's it's haters. all a, they're just haters like haters. you know the thing i will say about about quebec separatists which i respect and that's that's a phrase i never thought i'd say is that they don't really give us a, a toss 
who's in power. They're still separatists. They still believe that they should be an independent country. And the separatists here in Alberta, they just don't like it when liberals are in power. Um, so it's, a, it's why they went quiet during the Harper years, even though Harper did less for the oil and gas industry than Justin Trudeau has. I know that's a, a mind-bending fact, but it's true. Um, well, we just know, sold but, ours out to China for the most part, didn't he? Well, it didn't didn't build any new pipelines to Canadian Tidewater, you know, mangled the whole environment file, mangled the sort of indigenous uh, consultation stuff. Like it was just not great, but they don't care because he's their guy. Uh, whereas Trudeau has done all, you know, he's, he's getting two major, the biggest two, the two biggest export projects in Canadian history. He's getting them built because of policies or decisions he took and they won't give him credit for it. Right. Uh, they want to separate. So, you know, that's, that is the one silver lining of Pierre Polyev becoming prime minister is that all this separatist stuff goes away. And trust me, living in Alberta, it's deeply annoying. Yeah, um, um, and we have to wrap now, but I, I was just going to touch on Polyev for a second because um, I had predict, or predicted, I, I had thought that uh, when he was first made leader of the opposition that, uh, you know, the next election, he was still going to go all in on this sort of convoy crowd or fringe right thing. And, and actually... I think he's going to go back to conventional wisdom. And I think I'm changing my mind on this because there's too much time between the election and, and that. Unless there's some other ridiculous trucker convoy three months before an election, I don't think he needs to. I don't I, I think he would be burning his chances. I agree. I, I, I think he's very clearly sort of walking away from that. He was he was for him. Uh, uncharacteristic. I can't believe he used like, them like that. This is crazy. Oh yeah, no. Who, who can who can imagine? They he used them as props, not him. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, during the during the the inquiry, he was like he's never been that quiet in his whole life. And he was, you know, he just went to ground. He stayed in the background. He let the thing play itself out. He didn't really say anything because he's done with that. Um, and he's done with them, uh, whether they know it or not. I, you know, I think he's going to spend all a lot of time talking about cost of living housing, uh, young people not being able to get ahead, you know, they have it worse than their parents. And, and honestly, that stuff resonates. Uh, he's not in, wrong. He's not you wrong know. and it resonates. And I think if he was a, like 10% more likable, uh, it, it would work. I think, I think his, his Achilles heel, and you see this in the polling numbers, is that people already hate him. Like the, at the same point in their 10 years as leaders, far more people strongly dislike Polyev than Harper, Sheer or O'Toole, right? There was a there was a lot of people in those those under their leaderships that said, "Well, let's give the guy a chance." I don't really have a strong opinion yet. With Polyev, it's either you really like him or you really hate him. And if that's the case, it's he can say all the right things about cost of living and and young people getting screwed over, but at the end of the day, it's going to be hard to bring them home to vote. That's true. Max Fawcett, uh, it's always a pleasure, man. And uh, you know, thanks for. Thanks for writing the way that you write because it's refreshing to read and uh, come back soon. Okay, bud. Yeah, that was a great conversation. I always enjoy it. And uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll try not to say something offensive next time. It's okay, man. <laughs> You're all, all, all is forgiven. Hey, I swear to God, if I see any tweets tomorrow, I'm going to go crazy. Okay. <laughs> I got your back tomorrow, man. After that, right. you're on your own. All right. All right. Okay. <laughs> all right cheers. <clears throat> Max Fawcett, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah, he's always a good conversationalist. I like having, I like having him on smart too. Ah, <sighs> Gypped. Um, let's, a lot of people just don't know that that word exists um, because of gypsies, you know? And how do you take a word out of the lexicon? 
it's tough. I only said it there to quote it, so I don't get any emails. But uh, uh, Max Fa- Max Fawcett is a clearly a good human being, and so I don't want anyone to give him a shit about that. Uh, this week on Blackballed is pretty pretty intense. Tomorrow we have Beth Seed. Beth Seed is a former member of the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. She has one of those harrowing tales, um, stories of abuse and separation of family. Um, it is both compelling and sad and necessary to, to tell. So that's tomorrow at nine o'clock. On Thursday, Karima Sad will be here. She's a friend of the show. Everyone knows who Karima is. We're going to talk about why place name here is fucking with her this week. It's always somebody. And then on Friday, Ryan Lindley's back for Casual Friday. <clears throat> Last week on Casual Friday, um, got pretty intense at the end for some people. For me, it was just fun. Um, the, the whole part of the show where people come in and then I decide um, after a while or after something happens whether or not I just want to move them out. Um, apparently offended some people. Don't get offended. It's all fun and games. Maybe I'm trying to establish some sort of brand here where people can wear T-shirts that are like, I got booted from Blackball or something, you know? Maybe you guys should treat it as the game. How long can you last before James gets upset? Maybe you should try to get James upset and see if you can set records for the amount of time it takes before I boot you. I think there's a lot of possibilities here, everybody. Um, I think that we need to work together. And by working together, I mean just eat it if I boot you and uh, and move on and laugh at it because, you know, <clears throat> I'm going to do it not because of personal reasons, just because I can and because I think it's fun and funny for me. <laughs> um, yeah. No, it was fun. Uh, and Danielle... You know, your name's not that long, but I still like you. And we'll see you next time on Black Ball. Black Ball. Black Black The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jag and Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.